Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you this morning. Welcome back, Dr. Paul. How are you? Doing well, doing well. We returned uh, from a weekend, long weekend up in Dallas. All right. A wedding of one of our grandchild's oh, children. Great. And it, it was, uh, like I told you, it was an eye-opener. It was a little <laughs> bit different than the uh, uh, wedding music that we used to listen to, <laughs> especially the wedding music after the wedding. <laughs> but uh, I assure you, they had a good time. Oh, that's great. And it was great. a good, good wedding. <laughs> so, but today, uh, I wish everything that we could talk about would be good news, but I bet we can find something positive to say. So I the worse so. it gets, the more people wake up. That's my theme. <laughs> yeah. But but anyway, the, um, the the date wakes me up because yeah. it's a date that uh, I remember very very clearly. And you you have a short memory because <laughs> you don't even remember it. <laughs> uh, you were quite into politics back then. But uh, I was uh, I was a draftee. I was a flight surgeon. Uh, but I was taken in the military because of the uh, missiles in, in, in Cuba. But by the time uh, I, by the time I actually got sworn in and active, uh, that had settled down. So uh, what was going on there was the war, the war in Vietnam, and this sort of thing. But I was the um, flight surgeon in charge of Kelly Air Force Base on uh, November uh, or, or no, November twenty first, the mm-hmm. day before Kennedy was killed, and. Uh, that was just standby and just the case and it was he he was there just a short time maybe an hour or two but he went on of course to the disaster but that that, uh, that was very memorable in the sense of what a horrible situation that was and uh, I was uh, I, I was absolutely in no conspiratorial mode mood at the time mm-hmm. and uh, didn't, that didn't cross it. To me, it was just tragedy, and it, and it was so sad. But uh, now, thinking very generally about what went on, uh, there have uh, been a lot of books and a lot of speculation on why it happened, and I'm sort of in the camp where foreign policy was a big deal, a big deal on this. And, uh, and this, this to me, uh, also emphasized that it was a big deal because of a war going on here in the United States, the, the, the hawks against the peaceniks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, and that probably uh, was the reason. Uh, that, was, that was different than the initial thing. It was all, uh, it was, it was all the, you know, the Castro. Yeah. We had to do a Castro. And, uh, that that uh, was heard of for a long time, but I I just think um, that whole thing, and I unfortunately think of it in, in the most uh, I guess the most negative sense was uh, well well first I think that date is uh, important to me because I think it was a significant date when it was very evident that there was an unraveling uh, of the republic and that this was a coup and that Johnson was involved in it. And uh, when I think about his, his election, Texans will remember it, and a lot of other people. In 1948, there was a big argument uh, whether Coach Stevenson would be the senator or whether it be LBJ. And there was a big fight and a court contest and fighting and all this. And finally, after all the legal things going on, Johnson won by one vote. Wow. And he was ushered in. He had to run against a, a Republican, but Republicans didn't exist by that. So but he became 
you know, you know the senator, and uh, it was essentially the uh, uh, the the. the uh, at the beginning of his presidential career, because mm-hmm. he did go on, and then I keep thinking, you know, there there was that one one vote, but now I think about the one shot, yeah, the one shot that killed Kennedy, and then it wasn't only until recently in a book that I did come across that sounded very credible, uh, because it was really very uh, politically incorrect to say that, uh, and I didn't want to believe that mm-hmm. that Johnson could have been involved. And now people, and I, statistically, the, the American people have given up on believing the commission. And now the commission, and a lot of them seem to be have won over, you know, by, by Johnson mm-hmm. being involved. So I think of, uh, you know, one vote, one shot, and, and then uh, a disaster, and a disaster we're still living with. But all I hope we can do <clears throat> in our very short conversation will be to alert people to pay attention to foreign policy because it's probably a bigger deal than people realize. We talk about domestic spending and foreign policy spending and foreign aid and the empire. Uh, let's just say, for instance, that's 50-50. Uh, and, but the one thing is it's so solidly bipartisan. And now, of course, uh, you know, changes are going to occur, and there are a couple dozen Republicans, I think, do a very good job on talking more about a constitutional foreign policy, mm-hmm. and uh, that, of course, is what we would like to encourage. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the House leadership coming in in the next Congress is not going to be very exciting when it comes to foreign policy, and this is something we noticed in the Hill, if we can put up that first clip, because... Most likely future speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, is planning on bringing up the old, the old grandstanding of the neocon wing of the GOP. Uh, and that is the dominant wing, but we were hoping it would shift. And here's a piece from yesterday in The Hill. McCarthy planning select committee on China if elected speaker. And let's put up this next clip because this is his claim. They never once in this majority had a hearing on where COVID originated from. They have never stood up to China, McCarthy said of Democrats in an interview on Fox News Sunday Morning Futures. And of course, that's not correct. Uh, The Democrats have been, from the White House down, have been increasingly treading on China, Dr. Paul, as you know. And in fact, uh, and he was referring to Congress, but if you look at the new national security strategy for the United States, which is the next clip, explicitly, this strategy recognizes that the People's Republic of China presents America's most consequential geopolitical challenge. In other words, the number one issue for the United States when it comes to its foreign policy and national security strategy is China. So McCarthy is trying to out-hawk the administration on China, I guess they feel like that's a safe territory to be in. You know, there, there was a time when the, the traditional division would be that uh, hopefully the Republicans either get in office <clears throat> or they have influence uh, to counteract the, uh, uh, the peaceniks in the Democratic Party. And uh, that, of course, was argued even back on the Kennedy assassination. But uh, the, 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 the whole thing here is that uh, Congress uh, now is uh, reacting in a way that is quite, quite different because the hawks are all over the place. Yeah. And, uh, but also the peace people are divided up. And, of course, the immediate goal ought to be for our 
position would be to find those people, whether they call themselves libertarians, independent, constitutionalists, Republicans, and or or, or Democrats that have a different foreign policy. But uh, there's there's that division which is uh, controlled by the deep state and controlled by the military industrial complex. But there's, a, there's also a, a sentiment that uh, has to be uh, reflective of the people. So the people have to decide whether they're going to look at this, uh, this type of policy now and not wait until uh, after 10 years of Vietnam, and after Korea, and after 10 years in the Middle East, plus uh, after 20 years in Afghanistan, and now many years into Syria and Ukraine and all these things. The American people have to start looking because uh, they, uh, we cannot depend on the people when they even get to the, uh, you know, into office. We could say that, yes, we never want to neglect those and we have to encourage those people that take a position that's much closer to ours. At the same time, we are outnumbered out there and it takes a crowd to get out there and show that there's more than just 10 people saying, well, you know, it's time to end war. Uh, no, they're not ready. They're not in time to ready to cancel their uh, their their golden egg. You know all the money that's being made. And it's easy for the neocons and a lot of Americans that follow them that don't understand the complexity of these things to beat their chest and say, "Yes, we've got an enemy. We're going to take down those chicoms." What they don't understand, what they should understand now of all times is the domestic implications of a hawkish foreign policy. Essentially, what we're seeing here is that McCarthy wants to do to the American people via China, as the Biden administration has done to the American people, and to a larger extent, the Europeans have done to the European population vis-a-vis -vis Russia. Essentially, they want to shoot themselves in the foot and destroy the economy, all on the whole basis of having an enemy, having an enemy out there. We need to attack China. And here's McCarthy. China is the number one country when it comes to intellectual property theft. All the other nations combined China steals more than the others, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This whole thing, they're robbing from us. They're terrible. They take advantage of us. Um, it's only an excuse for a trade war with China, which will hurt the American people at home. So really, I think the lesson, Dr. Paul, is beware, because you feel like it may be risk-free to cheer for a more hawkish foreign policy. But ask, ask the Europeans right now who are freezing in Germany uh, how a hawkish foreign policy toward Russia, which has not helped them in the slightest, how it feels to have to pay for that at home. And, you know, this diverts the attention from what I think is the real cause of dissension in the world. And that is, uh, you know, a, a bankruptcy, which includes financial bankruptcy and a moral bankruptcy. And we talk about the 60s, and a lot of people have written about the 60s in a, in a broader sense than the assassination, but multiple assassination and the uh, cultural changes that occurred then. And uh, I, I truly believe it uh, ha has had a big influence on you know, the, uh, uh, the, the disintegration that has been going on in our country and that uh, there has been significant changes away from a constitutional uh, government. But uh, the, people, the people have to, to realize that you know, you, you're not gonna get one person, it's just sort of like one person isn't gonna be able to close down every faction that loves the Federal Reserve. And you can't close down, and I think it's foreign policy thing, is it, it doesn't get closed down, Republican or Democrat. If you're, if you're too strong on pro-war, 
uh, it becomes one of the most dangerous things in this country because it wasn't the, the uh, assassination wasn't ended with the Kennedy assassination. It went on and on, and people even just close to him could be in trouble. A lot of a lot of people died over that situation because foreign policy is a big a, a big deal, and uh, and they do not deal with those two issues: uh, the uh, the moral bankruptcy, but the financial bankruptcy. I mean, how, how long? Are we going to be able to do this? Of course, we've been a few have saying this for a long time, and then then they say, "Well, you lost all credibility because you said that ha would happen before." Yes, I said it was going to happen once I discovered what the significance of the uh, of, of the Bretton Woods was, the breakdown of the Bretton Woods, and you know the lines, everything supports the disintegration of what's happening now. So it it is a major problem. So uh, I think. Uh, Everybody has to participate. To me, it's getting out information so that people understand, you know, what's going on, rather than saying, "Well, we need somebody more hawkish," <laughs> you know. In uh, there, I think there was this attempt, uh, you know, with our last election. But no, no I right now uh, a lot of people uh, are going to be, uh, uh, you, you know, happy with this. But even the ones that are unhappy have to be careful because there still will be a base. Uh, but the, it, it seems like the power and the influence of the military industrial complex and the communication system, you know, just as they controlled the, the message, uh, they do a very good job in controlling the message, whether it's the war against COVID or the war against the Ukrainians, it seems like it's uh, nearly universal when it comes to listening to the news. Yeah, well, you know, as I, as I say, an unnecessarily aggressive foreign policy does come home to roost and it does affect the, the U.S. economy. And, you know, there's, that's another reason to stockpile, Dr. Paul, and it's a good point to, to bring up the sponsor of our program, 4Patriots.com. 4Patriots provides survival food and other survival products that you need in times of uncertainty like this. Uh, they have delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. They can be made in less than 20 minutes. You add boiling water, simmer, and serve. You can get a three-month survival kit to feed your family for three months. Enter Ron at 4Patriots, the number 4Patriots.com, and get a 10% discount on your first order with free shipping on all orders over $97. It's a great company because they also, as we say, donate some of their profits to veterans' causes. And as you know, Dr. Paul, the veterans were your biggest supporters when you ran for Congress. Veterans don't want an aggressive foreign policy <laughs> because they're the ones at the receiving end. So check out 4Patriots.com, put in RON as your code, and get 10% off your first order. Dr. Paul? Well, you know, we have had this change and we have, it looks like a new speaker coming in and he wants to be, he's the one subject that he's spoken about already is being much more hawkish against China. We don't have enough problems. We have to go and aggravate. I saw one report certainly that if there's a, a contest, and I guess there always is, will be a contest maybe between uh, Russia and China, although we're pushing real hard to keep them together, but it looks like the Chinese have been uh, better at manipulating their economy because the gold is flowing from Russia to China. 
but it's not but it's not flowing into America. America's uh, given up on that because they proved that the dollar was as good as gold, and you just pretend that, and uh, that's why a lot of the gold was sold off. But eventually, you know, gold wins out in that. But but the, uh, the the problems exist. That's just a measurement of the degree of the problem. But uh, I I think that. Uh, uh, we have to be concerned with more than just China. That's a good symbol of what's happening. But uh, how about the associations that DeSantis uh, had when he was in Congress? You know, he he was pretty he was pretty principled, but not on our side. Yeah, not yeah. on our side because here here they get away with. Uh, uh, you know, becoming strong fiscal conservatives and never vote against a nickel going overseas. And uh, and who knows the amount connected somewhere or other to foreign policy and foreign intervention, it may exceed, uh, you know, sending food stamps out to poor people here yeah. for sure. Well, yeah, that, and that is brings up our next topic, which is a piece that Dan Larison wrote for Responsible Statecraft. If we can actually skip one, and go ahead to that responsible statecraft one. Um, and it's a good article, it's definitely worth reading. What might a DeSantis foreign policy look like? And unfortunately, Dr. Paul, I know you're looking for some silver linings today. <laughs> this is not gonna give us one, unfortunately. I guess the way we could show some hope is to think that maybe he will change, maybe he will surround himself with people who are astute on foreign policy as his advisors appear to be, at least in Florida, on domestic policy and he's done a great job with COVID, he's fought against political correctness and he deserves all the credit for what he's done and the voters have rewarded him handsomely for doing that. But unfortunately, if his presidential ambitions are indeed what some suggest, the area of the president, the executive branch, the head of the executive branch, carries with it enormous power in foreign policy. I would say much more so than domestic policy because you have to deal with Congress in a much more complicated way. Foreign policy is where the president has the real power. And unfortunately, from what we've seen of DeSantis in the House, despite being a nice person, I think, is not very encouraging. And I'll just do one clip before I send it to you because this is uh, Larison's piece. If we can just put that next one up. Um, basically, you go down the laundry list of things on foreign policy. DeSantis has taken out staked himself out the most extreme neocon position. He was extremely, extremely opposed to any kind of deal with Iran. He wrote articles with Tom Cotton, uh, and this is from Dan Larison's piece, like most critics of the agreement, they misrepresented what it would do and exaggerated the benefits Iran would receive from sanctions itself. In other words, a classic neocon tactic of, well, exaggerating, lying, whatever you want to call it, but here's a good point that Dan put. DeSantis and Cotton also indulge in rather hysterical threat inflation about Iran, saying, quote, they will stop at nothing to end our way of life. I want to make a comment on it, and it's my opinion, and it, uh, it, it, it's just something I've been thinking about, but uh, there, there looks like there's going to be, and there already is competition between DeSantis and Trump. Yeah. You know, and it looks like, you know, the mainstream media and uh, most of the stations right now are sort of, uh, we've had enough of Trump, we've got to yeah. get rid of them, we hate Trump. Uh, so that, that keeps going. But what, what if the foreign policy is one of the major factors? You can't say that um, 
that Trump uh, fitted into the category of the peaceniks, you know, yeah. it's not there because he, he vacillates, he's been back and forth, but he, he is a lot more for working things out uh, than, than say DeSantis sounds like it. So what if the foreign policy is the major issue and not just the ordinary everyday hating of Trump, you know, yeah. just for political reasons, and we're just tired of Trump. Maybe there is because uh, that was, that turned out to be the big issue uh, on, on Kennedy's assassination as well as, uh, as, uh, as his mistress later on was murdered for the same reason because yeah. they figured she had too much information. So foreign policy is very, very powerful. And I guess it, this is just, just a thought that is a possibility and uh, I can't prove it is going to happen. But uh, obviously uh, the, it, it's a mixed bag. We don't have somebody totally hawkish and totally for peace. Uh, we have a sort of a mixed bag, but I think I think DeSantis, you, you give him credit for being more more precise, but unfortunately he's not precise for what we're looking for. Yeah. Well, here's a couple of more things from Dan's article, and do encourage reading it at Responsible Statecraft. You can find it at antiwar.com. Uh, but he talks about, uh, this is more with DeSantis and Iran. DeSantis has imagined that the Iranian government could be brought down through more outside pressure. So this is probably one of the most disturbing things about him. He believes that regime change operations overseas are good ideas. We know based on fact that they have never worked out for the positive. They have never worked out in a way that produces a more free, more open, more democratic, more wealthy society. Just ask any Libyan how they like having their democracy sh uh, shoveled uh, in front of them. Uh, so he's very in favor of, of doing this. Uh, the other thing that's also disturbing, if we can do this next clip, uh, is who are his heroes? Uh, well, this is also not good <laughs> news. He touted Trump's decision to provide military assistance to Ukraine, okay, and in order to, uh, and to order attacks on Syrian government targets, sorry. And then here's the thing, here's the kicker, Dr. Paul. When John Bolton was named National Security Advisor, DeSantis praised the choice. John Bolton it's a very strong voice, a very clear thinker. Um, no, Ron, he's not. Not you, Ron, the other Ron, sorry. <laughs> but the thing is that the last point I just wanted to make, Dr. Paul, is that you have, you can't, and I started by saying this, you cannot separate domestic and foreign policy. DeSantis is, is very good on civil liberties, very courageous, very good on fighting PC. The problem is aggressive foreign policy overseas always comes home to roost. Oh, we only need the Patriot Act because of those evil Muslims overseas. We got to keep an eye on them. We find out they were spying on us all along. You give them the tools to go after the bad guys overseas, they use those tools to come after us at home. You know, you make the point on why it's, it's difficult for us to understand if they're so good here, why don't they apply the same principle? Yeah. And of course, the way I start off with, if it's just a suggestion that non-intervention is a good thing, that's more or less what's in the Constitution is non-intervention. Let people live their own lives. Let the economy work out its place. Not, don't go in and invade your neighbors. Don't have an empire. Don't debauch the currency. All this is non-interventionism. And uh, what they're saying is, well, intervention over here, we, we need it. 
But over here, no, uh, we, we shouldn't do it. We should allow the people to go. And you're absolutely right. You can't separate the two. I remember one time in a debate, the, the announcers said, okay, tonight we're going to be talking about foreign policy, none of this economic stuff. <laughs> and I, ob- I objected friendly, of course. I said, yes, but you can't do that. How can you separate the two? It takes money to fight these wars, and there's so many ramifications on civil liberties and all these kind of things once the war starts, and they're long-lasting, and they precipitate so many problems that last decades, you know, when it comes to the destruction of lives and families and uh, alliances. So, no, non-interventionism means that we mind our own business and we don't use aggression to have our way. Uh, and uh, if we want to change the world, it's not that complicated. Uh, set a good standard. You know, in a way, domestically, I think DeSantis has achieved that to a degree. You know, he, he got political pluses for standing his guns, on, standing on his ground on uh, domestic affairs. And other states, I think that encouraged other states to, to, to do the same thing. So, uh, yes, I think setting an example is very good. We, we just need more people setting an example, uh, you know, on the foreign policy. Well, we skipped over one thing that I wanted to mention, that I wanted to ask you about, actually. And if I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm genuinely interested in your view because we haven't talked about what you think about this. But this is going back to McCarthy and his announcement that he will strip committee assignments from uh, Eric Swalwell of California, Adam Schiff of California, and Elon Omar of Minnesota, all Democrats. He's going to strip them of their committee posts. They won't have any committees. I, I honestly just I'm curious what you think about it. I think it's typical politics. It doesn't solve any problems, but to lay back and not even say anything after what they've done. Uh, it seems uh, it seems like uh, I guess I was even a little surprised because I never saw it happen before where the, some incoming person takes some people, you know, off a committee. But I, I guess your, the speaker does have this authority. They certainly played that role. And maybe it's it's that commission uh, on January uh, over January 6th, yeah. My, because I think a lot of people just fair minded. Uh, when they look at that and, you know, the voters voted there, the longer those hearings, so-called hearings, those kangaroo court thing, the longer they were up, the less less interested the people became. So in a way, that was working that way. But I'll, I'll tell you that I was a little surprised. And uh, if, if, if they want to do this, I'm not going to cry over Schiff getting uh, <laughs> kicked off a committee and Swalwell. And, I mean, it's. It, uh, it, it's just that we want the right person doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Marjorie Taylor Greene was stripped of her committee assignments when yeah. she was first elected. And I think that's, I don't know if there's a, pre- I don't remember there being a precedent when we were there. Uh, maybe Trafficant was stripped of his assignments, but, but it is an unusual thing. And it, I, I'm just uncomfortable with it. Admittedly, they're nasty people, very nasty people. Well, I, I've, I saw the stripping of positions but it's by their, their own party. Yeah. You, you know, this, uh, the, uh, the Republican leader can take you, and he, he approves all the committee assigns, so that it's there. But to do it on the other side, I, I guess that doesn't happen very often. But if this is a start of something big, it'll get, keep getting bigger. It'll be back and forth for years. So if the Democrats do something, if they don't obey now to the new speaker, uh, you better watch out. You might lose your position yeah. on your committee. And that's almost disenfranchising the voters from that district in a way as well. So uh, someone made a funny joke because, you know, Ilan Omar, 
he's kicking her out because of her supposed anti-Semitism because <laughs> she happens to be critical of Israel occasionally, which you're not allowed to be if you're in Congress. But someone made a joke, well, if they're kicking her out for anti-Semitism, they should kick her out for voting to send money to Nazis in Ukraine. That's worse <laughs> than just making a couple oh, yeah. of anti-Semitic con uh, comments. But anyway, we'll keep an eye on it. I'm going to close out if we're ready and just thanking our viewers. Uh, we're approaching a Thanksgiving weekend. Um, well, we're going to take a couple of days off. We'll have a show tomorrow, but we'll take a couple of days off so I won't get the opportunity to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. I know, Dr. Paul, it's one of your favorite holidays. Uh, it was one of the reasons we're taking a little time off, but enjoy each other. It's easy to get down, uh, to get depressed, and I'm the number one victim of that or the number one culprit in that. But take some time and enjoy your families. Uh, enjoy some of the brighter things in life. Get out and get some fresh air. Take a walk if you can. And when you're done next week, after tomorrow, uh, we'll still have shows on Thursday and Friday, but we'll see you next week on the Liberty Report. Very good. And they, Thanksgiving Day has always been special for me because I have always been so thankful for how things have worked out for me and family and these sorts of things. And I think that's, uh, that's wonderful. And I've often said that I'm thankful because when people talk about how horrible people are, and we do it here all the time, but, but I don't think they're the world. I think they're just in a position where they're eager enough and... Uh, and, and they're calloused enough where truth and, and, and being fair d d doesn't affect them. They just go ahead and do it. And they have the advantage of the person that sort of sits back and says, you know, uh, things are okay and they, they hope it'll get better and not realizing that you need a, a fair amount of activity. And, you know, I've often said, you know, if when they, people complain about their neighbors and all this, I say, you know, when I think about it, uh, you know, most people I've met throughout my life, whether it was from grade school all, all the way up to medical school and residency and the military and, and uh, in Congress, even in Congress, uh, you know, on a personal basis, I just couldn't find anybody I, I wanted to grab hold and, and shout at them, you know. But it, so there was a sort of uh, an atmosphere of friendliness because I think that is a natural uh, thing. But I also think the opposition is alive and well and there's always these temptations and they have the greatest desire to, if they have no belief in a higher law, uh, they can do anything they want anytime they want and there is no truth so just go, go ahead. And they have that, they have that advantage of not having any restraint, any moral restraint. And that is why I think it's a real challenge. But I still think there's a lot of good people out there, and I've met a lot of them, and I think it's just great. I've been very impressed over the years with young people wanting to have more information. It's always like, you know, if I get to talking about economics and gold standard and all that, their uh, eyes and ears pop up, and, you know, they want to listen to it. Obviously, this is new to them. They didn't hear it in their schools, you know. So, but uh, I think that's changing too to the positive. When I think of institutions like uh, uh, the Institute of uh, Mises Institute, how beneficial they are to us. The information is out there. And as bad as the internet is, it's available for a lot of information. We get to put our program out and hopefully it looks like keep our fingers crossed, maybe things are going to improve a little bit and cancellation with the arm of government working through the social media, maybe they'll lose a little bit of their cloud for regulation of speed. So that, 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 that should be helpful. But I always think when you feel frustrated about how do we get our message on, well, think about how the people, uh, you know, did it under the British Empire when the colonists wanted their liberties. 
They didn't, they didn't even have radio then. They didn't have television. But they did have a printing press, and they did have word of mouth, and uh, they, they did spread a message. And the message can be spread. And just remember, the message can't be stopped, uh, you know, at all. Armies can't stop, uh, you know, messages of, of hope. And, and they, this is important that they can't do an idea whose time has come can't be stopped. So join us all in and I will certainly keep my, uh, my efforts up. And I want to thank all of you for supporting us in our efforts and tuning into our Liberty Report each day. Thank you very much.